Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to the August 9th episode of Poets and Muses, where we chat with poets about their inspirations. I'm your host, Imogen A-Rate. You can find us at poetsandmuses.com or via Instagram and Twitter under Poets and Muses. You can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter either at poetsandmuses.com or at the upper right-hand side of the Poets and Muses SoundCloud page. In addition to the Poets and Muses website, as well as our SoundCloud page, you can now listen to the Poets and Muses podcast on Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, or Stitcher. With us today is Service, with whom I will be discussing his poem, Poor People Teeth, and my poem, The Best. Before we do that, however, I'm going to go over some virtual poetry events taking place during the week of August 10th. On Monday, August 10th, from 4 p.m. Eastern Time, Nuijinan TV will be hosting the 14th of its 20 episode, the Nuijinan Wind Carriers Challenge, where anyone can participate, but only indigenous youth between 8 and 25 are eligible for the prices, which includes a grand prize of a MacBook Pro. You can find out more information by going to facebook.com forward slash events forward slash 644-547-309-458-680. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash events forward slash 644-547-309-458-680. From 7 to 8 p.m. Eastern Time, Books Are Magic will be hosting their 2020 Whiting Award-winning poets featuring Aria Aber, Diane Lee Antigua, Jake Skeets, and Janja Torovskaya. You can find out more information and register at facebook.com forward slash events forward slash 120-938-762-607-6245. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash events forward slash 120-938-762-607-6245. From 6 p.m. Arizona time, Christy White and the Arizona State Poetry Society will be hosting their monthly Mustang Poets open reading and discussion. You can find out more information and sign up by emailing azpoetryorg at gmail.com. Again, that's azpoetryorg at gmail.com. From 8 p.m. Central Time, Frizzy Productions will be hosting his Poets Playground open mic via Instagram Live at poets underscore playground underscore. Again, that's at poets underscore playground underscore. On Tuesday, August 11th, From 8 to midnight Paris time, Spoken Word Paris will be hosting its Spoken Word Online. This week featuring Rusty Rose. You can find out more information by going to facebook.com forward slash events forward slash 357-791-485-216-936. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash events forward slash 357 791-485-216-936. From 3 to 5 p.m. Eastern Time, Urban Word NYC will be hosting its first draft open mic 
for those between the ages of 13 and 23. It's a virtual writing workshop and open mic series facilitated by Roya Marsh. You can find out more information and register at urbanwordnyc.org forward slash first draft. Again, that's urbanwordnyc.org forward slash first draft. From 5 to 5.30 Arizona time, Arizona Masters of Poetry will be hosting their Speak Poet via Instagram Live at Arizona Masters of Poetry. Again, that's at Arizona Masters of Poetry. On Wednesday, August 12th, from 8.30 p.m. Beirut time, Sidewalk Beirut will be hosting its online open mic. You can find out more information on Instagram at Sidewalk underscore Beirut. Again, that's at Sidewalk underscore Beirut. Signing up to participate starts at 8.15 p.m. And because of the explosion in Beirut last week, this might not take place um, during this week, this Wednesday. So please check on their Instagram just to make sure. From 8 to 10 p.m. Nigeria time, Shogo Sholaja will be hosting his open mic via Instagram live at Ishola underscore the underscore poet. Again, that's at Ishola underscore the underscore poet. From 3 to 4 p.m. Eastern Time, Nuijinan TV will be hosting their Nuijinan's Got Talent, which showcases indigenous youths between 13 and 25 years old. You can RSVP to participate and find out more information at Nuijinan TV on Instagram. That's N-W-E-J-I-N-A-N-T-V. Again, that's at N-W-E-J-I-N-A-N-T-V. From 8 p.m., Eastern Time, a poet named Superman will be hosting his release therapy open mic via Instagram Live at a poet named Superman. Again, that's a poet named Superman. At 7 p.m. Central Time, Luya Poetry will be hosting their open mic with a theme of curses. You can find out more information via Instagram at Luya Poetry. Again, that's at Luya Poetry. Luya is spelled L-U-Y-A. On Thursday, August 13th from 6 p.m. Pacific Time, the Thunderbird Reading Series will be hosting its reading with Cynthia Cruz, Jay Mercado, and Ellie Crouchy Gardener. You can sign up for the event by emailing Thunderbird Reading Series at gmail.com. Again, that's Thunderbird Reading Series at gmail.com. From 6.30 to 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time, the Tiny Cover will be hosting its weekly virtual poetry night. You can find out more information and sign up by going to thetinycover.com forward slash events. Again, that's thetinycover.com forward slash events. From 7 to 8 p.m. Arizona time, Phonetic Spit will be hosting their weekly open mic via Instagram live at Phonetic Spit. That's P-H-O-N-E-T-I-C-S-P-I-T. Again, that's P-H-O-N-E-T-I-C-S-P-I-T. On Friday, August 14th, from 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time, Marquise 10,000 Burton will be hosting his live poetry freestyling via Instagram Live at 10,000 Poetry. Again, that's at 10,000 Poetry with 10,000 spelled out.
on Saturday, August 15th from 9.30 a.m. to 12 p.m. Arizona time, East Valley Poets will be hosting their monthly poetry discussion and a possible mini-workshop. You can find out more information and RSVP by emailing evpoets at yahoo.com. Again, that's evpoets at yahoo.com. From 8 to 10 p.m. Nigeria time, Sogo Sholaja will be hosting his open mic via Instagram live at ishola underscore the underscore poet. Again, that's ishola underscore the underscore poet. From 5 to 5.30 p.m. Arizona time, Arizona Masters of Poetry will be hosting their Speak Poet Saturday via Instagram Live at Arizona Masters of Poetry. Again, that's at Arizona Masters of Poetry. From 6.30 to 8 p.m. Arizona time, Palabras Bookstore will be hosting their In Our Own Words BPOC Open Mic. You can find out more information and RSVP by going to palabrasbookstore.com. Again, that's palabrasbookstore.com. Palabras is spelled P-A-L-A-B-R-A-S. And now let us welcome our Poet Guest of the Week service. Hi, service. Thank you very much for coming on to Poets and Muses. Uh, Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm so glad to be here and for this opportunity. Yeah, me too. Really glad you're here. So you brought with you the poem, Poor People Teeth. Before we get into it, I would love for you to tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. So uh, I go by the name Service. I'm originally from the San Francisco Bay Area, specifically a town, a very small town uh, called Pittsburgh, not in Pennsylvania, but California. (laughs) I moved to Chicago most recently, my wife and I, to work in higher education, where I do a lot of work focused around diversity, equity, and inclusion. But my life is kind of focused around just kind of doing service work, connecting with people from various communities and and doing different work, um, hence the name service. My family, my background, my, my mom is somebody who's always worked in the healthcare profession, working with folks, helping people out. Right. My dad did the same um, before he passed. He worked for a company called Loaves and Fishes, in which they kind of served as a soup kitchen and, and helped feed those who are in need. And so I kind of come from a heart and a background of um, people who are really built around wanting to help others. And then not to mention, right, being from the San Francisco Bay Area, not too far from Oakland, the Black Panther Party for Self-Defense and all the work that they've done for various communities in the San Francisco Bay Area, as well as around the country and the world, has had a huge impact on me and the work that I do and why I do what I do. In addition to that, I was an educator um, at the K-12 level. Um, I taught high school English in a class called Mastering Our Cultural Identity, mm-hmm. which looked at manhood from an African-centered lens. Mm-hmm. I just kind of taught young men about um, African history and the importance of knowing yourself and knowing your history and the culture that's connected to right. who you are as a person. The work has put me in a space um, all of these years of finding my own voice and advocating for other people. And Spoken word and poetry um, kind of became that avenue and that way for me to do so. And so I kind of started in high school and have been performing and doing things for, I want to say, about 17 years now. Last year, um, I actually finished my first book, which is called Instill I Rise to Fantasize, which is actually where the the poem Poor People Teeth comes from. So hopefully that gives you some some good context. Good, very good context. In terms of the book, where can people find it? You could actually either email me at service 
at servicenoservice.com or you can go directly to the website, which is okay. www.timothymays.net. Okay. When you talked about your, your poetry, you said you've had at least 17 years of yeah. uh, history with that. Can you tell us what made you decide to go into poetry? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I laugh because it's, it's such a such an interesting way how it came about. So um, I'll just give you a, a little bit more context, too, about who I am, because I think it really helps, um, yeah. you know, cre- create the narrative and paint the picture. I was born in 1987 at that particular time. Right. It was like the height of the, the crack epidemic um, in this country and the war on drugs. And so right. um, I was actually born um, with, with crack cocaine in my system and I uh, was taken from my, my mother at birth. Mm-hmm. At that particular time, doctors said that I would, you know, never have a normal functioning brain, mm-hmm. um, their words, right? And so I kind of navigated and went through K-12 education first um, and special education, mm-hmm. kind of feeling like, um, I re- actually remember telling my mom, I don't really feel like this is a space for me to be in. Um, I don't really think that they're supporting me in, in the way that I want to learn. So I actually asked her to take me out of those courses, and she did. Once she took me out of those courses, I didn't necessarily have the additional layer supports that I need needed to kind of be able to navigate things. And so I struggled through my K through 12 experience. I actually went through high school and I had a 1.5 GPA when I graduated from high school. Right. Um, I, was, I was missing 110 credits right. um, my senior year and made up all 110 of those credits my senior year. I say all of that to say, you know, one of the avenues that I had at that particular time was baseball. I played sports and my family is very well known in the area where we're from for playing baseball. And uh, everybody thought that because my mom played softball and because my dad played baseball, that I would naturally be the next one to do it. Once I got into my junior year of high school, I had a lot of different struggles and things that I was dealing with. I couldn't really relay those things to my mom or to my dad the way that I wanted to. And I got invited to an open mic night. And I realized that for the first time in my life, I had three minutes to be up and talking without anybody interrupting. That was kind of the catalyst for me kind of getting into writing poetry, um, was just having a space where I could be heard without interruption. Ever since then, I've been you know, kind of navigating and going into different spaces and creating different spaces with folks to kind of help people share their voice and their experience. The book in itself was actually kind of an ode to that, right? To say that just because I had all these different struggles with my education early on and the experiences that came as a result of being born with drugs in my system doesn't necessarily limit who I am as a person and what I'm capable of. And so uh, I actually went through that process and um, wrote the book um, about a year or two after I actually completed my master's degree in education. So it was kind of a, a culminating thing, just letting people know, trying to inspire folks that just because folks say you can't do something doesn't mean that you are incapable of it. Right, right. And I think medicine, you know, they deal with statistics and they right. deal with averages. Um, it doesn't right. mean that they have to apply on an individual case basis. And right. I'm really, really happy for you that you were able to escape those statistics and you were able to achieve what you have achieved and also use the power of words 
to not only help yourself but also help inspire others now um, yeah yeah. I do have to ask you, um, mm-hmm. since your last name is Mays, <laughs> are you related in any way to Willie Mays? Yeah, <laughs> yeah uh, I've, I've been told by my father and, um, and a few other family members that we are um, related. Uh, my family is originally from Monroe, Louisiana, mm-hmm. and um, I believe his family is from somewhere close by as well. I haven't had the pleasure or the opportunity to meet him. And for people who are probably listening, we're alluding to Willie Mays, um, who played for the New York and the San Francisco Giants. Mm-hmm. I wore his number. I wore number 24. I played center field. And so in, in a lot of ways, I, I definitely emulated his behavior and, and the way that he played the game, mm-hmm. um, but never got the chance or opportunity to officially meet him. Right, right. Yeah. Oh, well, <laughs> but it's still pretty cool to have that in your family line. Right. It's always interesting when folks are like baseball fans and they know the history and, and who he is and what he's contributed. Yeah. And um, so I, I love being able to share that and talk about it. Right, right. But I think, you know, to each their own, as they said, and we know that sports is very notorious in sort of uh, pushing education aside um, right. for the physical. Right. And I think especially, unfortunately, the stereotype stats um, become associated with African-American. Um, yeah. it, it's, it's nice to see a family that has such range. Yeah. I think that's a very interesting point, and, and I think that is oftentimes the case, right? And I, I think that speaks a lot to, to representation and the importance of representation, right? Because if folks don't have tangible or visible examples of the different things that they can get into and can can actually do, it's a lot harder for folks to see themselves in other spaces. And I think, you know, for me and for, for many other uh, and I speak, I don't want to speak too generally, but I think for a lot of other people, you know, seeing, seeing folks on TV, um, or seeing folks in the neighborhood who play a sport and have achieved some level of success or were able to move away or gain some type of accolades of some sort that oftentimes seems like the only option. Mm-hmm. So sometimes I even wonder, you know, how different my life would have been had I been, you know, exposed to a community where my next door neighbor was a scientist or a mathematician or, you know, an engineer or whatever the case may be. But because of the, the present circumstances and, and the times, that wasn't really a, an option, right? So. Right, right. And I think yeah. a lot about the history and the present problem with oppression is yeah. that lack of access. Yeah, 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 sure. And, and yeah, and, and of course, right, like the, the lack of access is definitely there. And I think one of the things that I'm most grateful for, um, and I think one of the true like triumphs of my story and my, my experience is that my parents didn't necessarily hinder me from trying different things. Um, when I was 17, my family supported me very heavily in the idea of moving from the San Francisco Bay Area to L.A., Once I moved, that really gave me the ability to feel like, well, there's a chance and opportunity for me to see the world and connect with different people from different communities and learn the different ways in which folks kind of conduct and navigate life. And 
honestly, that was probably the most life-changing thing that I could have done yeah. um, because it opened my perspective and, you know, my horizons on what was possible. Yeah, and exactly. So much so that, you know, I haven't had a desire to <laughs> to permanently stay in the Bay Area right. uh, in a very long time. So. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that part of making your life different, part of quote unquote escaping your circumstances, mm-hmm. whatever that happens to be, is yeah. seeing what is available, what is possible. Yeah, and, and you know, travel, as you know, is one aspect of that. Education, yeah. as you're in right now, is another aspect of that. Yeah. Speaking of circumstances. I would love for you to share your poem now, then we can dive deeper into that. Yeah, sure. I'm going to read it slowly because I, I really want folks to like be able to hear it. So I'll, I'll probably read it a bit slower than I normally would. The poem that I'm about to read is called Poor People Teeth. They say I have poor people teeth. I must have bitten down on too many questions, cracked the enamel on too many truths, too hard to vocalize. True through a lifetime supply of misinformation and unfortunate circumstances, but still, I'm here getting my teeth fixed. Stress like plaque, it builds, you know. Makes you ashamed to open your mouth. Makes the gums bleed. Makes a smile as charismatic as a broken taillight. Functional, but with a missing piece. So I may be subject to citation for putting my priorities on a sliding scale. My happiness has decayed on the other side. Collateral damage from wisdom teeth removal. Until today, I chose not to smile. This is a signal showing folks and others that I'm willing to get over my sadness. So yes, I do have poor people teeth and poor people grit as well. This is more than an appointment. This is me refusing to neglect myself again. So take your time. I am worth the sacrifice. And I know that I am beautiful either way. I promise. Thank you. Yeah. I really enjoy reading this poem. Though I have to tell you, in the middle of it, when mm-hmm. I was reading the part about the broken tail, I, I was kind yeah. of afraid of what will come afterwards. <laughs> well, what was it about it? What was it about it that made you a bit worried? Um, well, you know, similar to so many stories, because yeah. Broken Taillight is one of the stories that drove the Black Lives Matter movement, right? Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. that broken taillight led to a police brutality incident. Yep. Um, and it's actually, there are so many of them that I can't even tell you specifically yeah. which one it was anymore. Because, yes. But Broken Taillight is definitely one of those things that just... When I read that, it just makes me nervous knowing yeah. what horrible things that could lead to. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I think that's the beauty of, of poetry, right? When I wrote that line, that that was what I had in mind. And I think even just on a, a below-surface level, thinking about that, Sandra Bland was was what came to mind. And if you pay attention to and you look at any of the photographs of her online outside of the one that they have um, of her inside of the jail, she's smiling in every photograph. And I think it also was speaking to this idea of the way that that Black folks are oftentimes characterized as if we are 
angry or sad or hopeless and and don't have a, a, a joy that actually exists within us. Our context is oftentimes always told from a very sad point, so to speak. And and I just wanted to highlight the fact that despite all of the, the hurts and the pains and the experiences that collectively as a community Black folks go through, we still find some way to smile, to find joy, to create music, to create fashion, to create life, right? And, and we find a way to to, to resist and, and to be re- resilient. Right. And I think I think that's what I wanted to highlight more than anything. Yeah. And and she was on her way to go take a new job, start a new yeah. life. Yeah. Yeah. So there was a lot for her to smile about. Right. Right. Yep. And so I love that line. I think that's a really <laughs> I think it's a really cool line and I I know I'm talking as if I <laughs> I didn't write it, but I think I like to look at it sometimes a little bit objectively and and try to see what's there. And I think even the next line that came after it, you know, I may be subject to citation for putting my priorities on a sliding scale. And I I think sometimes folks think and assume, you know, when they look at folks who don't necessarily have the best teeth or the best smile, or they ask questions, um, oftentimes that that women get asked, right? Mm -hmm. Hey, baby, you should smile, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Why aren't you smiling? You know, and not taking into consideration that people experience a lot of different things. And and the reason why folks might not be smiling might not necessarily be because they don't want to. It might be because they feel a certain level of shame or they don't have the, you know, necessary access to be able to to get the things that would make them feel comfortable smiling. Right. Well and also, you know, we should smile when we feel like smiling and not when somebody Absolutely. is suggesting Absolutely. that we should smile. So Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, and 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 you're right, and I think that's that's also what I was trying to hit on, right, with my priorities on a sliding scale, right, because what I was really kind of also alluding to was the fact that some some folks don't have access to insurance, and and folks, you know, may or may not feel like they should be doing something just because, you know, society says that it's the normal thing to do, and maybe I can't function in the capacity of having what everybody else has or nor do I want to have what everybody else has um you know so that was kind of the thought and the feeling yeah yeah and I I think you pointed to a very important thing that Mm -hmm. I think both of us touch on which is we have our individual priorities um we have to go with what's important to our lives and what we value rather than what let's say celebrity culture yeah uh, say that we should be prioritizing yeah sure sure yeah i think something else that oftentimes comes to mind is i'll say this when i was teaching at the high school level one of the things that struck me the most was working with these 14 15 16 year old students on a daily basis mm-hmm. and realizing how much pressure they felt to feel perfect or to do things right. And I realized that even more so within the culture of them feeling the pressure to take the right photo. And if they couldn't take the right photo, put in the proper filter on it. And and to me, that was just a very striking thing because I I grew up in a time where we, we didn't really have camera phones and social media wasn't a super huge part of our social context as high school students. But for them, it was such a big piece. And 
And so they felt such an immense amount of pressure to to be perfect and, and to smile all the time and to, you know, seem OK because their followers and I'm doing air quotes would question them and question their happiness. And so they always had to constantly have on this facade and never, never felt like they had the space to say, I'm not okay. And, um, and so that's a very hard place to, to be at, especially as a young person. Yeah, exactly. I, I think you pointed to something that's really important for people to know, because most of us I mean, like when you were talking about your accomplishments and they are wonderful and they're beautiful and they're great. At the same time, we have to allow room for people who may not have the capacity for whatever reason. Sure. To not be able to, you know, we, we shouldn't say, okay, we only respect you after you've somehow beat the odds because not everybody are capable of beating the odds we should level the playing field as yep. much as possible because everybody yep. should have the same chance to succeed. Right. And not everybody is going to accomplish what their idea of success is within the amount of time that you want them to. Right. right? Like I, I oftentimes, you know, in conversation with my wife, you know, we oftentimes talk about the experiences of, of folks that we you know, hung out with in high school on a regular basis. And a lot of the students who were 3.0, 4.0 valedictorians, AP classes, level students, they aren't necessarily successful in the way that society would say that they should be successful, right? They don't, they don't have, you know, a high paying job or, you know, whatever these ridiculous accolades we like to oftentimes, you know, associate with success. But the folks who didn't necessarily have the best grades in high school, those are the folks who I see now who are, you know, at least in my circle, who are are challenging uh, themselves and challenging the communities that they come from and and the the folks surrounding them to to be better and to look at themselves critically about the way that we treat each other and the way that we look at each other and the way that we build community. And so I always like to think about that and always try to challenge myself even to think about those things because as a teacher I had to do those things you know and not solicit or or give students a a death sentence so to speak just because they didn't complete an assignment or they got a bad grade or whatever the case may be but just understanding and having critical hope that what's happening currently doesn't mean that's that's going to be the outcome of who they are as a person right right so yeah, I, I remember having this a similar discussion with another poet where we were talking about how life is both uh, unexpectedly short and very long. Yeah, yeah. So you could have many reimagines of what your life can be. You can yeah. change your life no yeah. matter at what stage of your life, at what age, because it's never too late to say, I want to do something new. Exactly. Yeah. Going back to your poem, I was wondering, was there anything specific that led you to write this particular poem? Under what circumstances you wrote this poem? Yeah, um, there's there's a bunch of (laughs) a bunch of different things. Mm -hmm. For starters, when I was about five years old, one of my traumas, so to speak, as a a kid, particularly related to Mm self-esteem, things of that nature, was particularly focused around the fact that when I was about five years old. 
one of my front teeth was rotten. And my mom, we didn't have health care. We didn't have, you know, dental insurance and things of that nature. And so she couldn't really take me to go get things fixed. And I remember certain kids would tease me because of it. And um, I remember being growing very insecure around the idea of smiling and, and what it meant for me to open my mouth and to speak right. and yeah. to let folks see see my teeth. Even to this day, my teeth are not straightened and they're purposely not straightened because yeah. my sister asked when she was 13, she asked for braces. Mm-hmm. She has very nice teeth. I probably was the one who needed the braces, but um, <laughs> I didn't request them. As I kind of navigated and moved through life, that's one of the things that I've kind of prided myself on is the fact that, yeah, my, my teeth aren't you know, perfectly straight, but I think that's a, a beautiful thing about who I am because there's a particular uniqueness to not attempting to be perfected. Right. And so I kind of wrote this poem from that space. My wife also, she, she does this thing where she watches a movie mm-hmm. and I can tell by the way that she's looking at the screen that she's paying attention to the actor's teeth. Mm-hmm. And she'll say, and she'll say, I like the fact that they don't have perfect teeth. Mm-hmm. And, and and so even with that, right, like this uh, particular feeling around the importance of your teeth and the importance of your smile right. kind of triggered this uh, desire to write this poem. Okay. And yeah. when, when did you write this? 2018, end of 2018. Okay, okay. So not, yeah. not too long yeah. ago. Between when you were five and now, I mean, it's, it's been a long time. Still. Yeah. Uh, so was there a particular event that triggered this memory? That made you decide, I'm going to write this poem now? Sure. Yeah. As a as a result of it, um, right, like or having experience, you know, having that rotten tooth when I was a kid and having such insecurity around my teeth, one of the things that marriage has kind of afforded me is my wife is my wife is very conscious about her teeth and uh she always encourages me to to go get checkups and and you know cleanings and things of that nature and I never really had that level of uh maintenance for my teeth I was always very concerned about my clothing and the way that my outward appearance looks so to speak Mm. um but didn't really put that much emphasis on on my teeth and so when she encouraged me, I'll say gently encouraged me to go and get a a deep cleaning. That's one of the things that came up. And as I laid back in the chair, I remember feeling almost embarrassed that I hadn't been in so long. I remember just laying there and saying, you know, despite the fact that I haven't been here in a while and the the dentist could potentially say that my teeth are bad, Mm -hmm. I'm here. And I, I want you to know that you know, regardless of if you say my teeth are good or bad, I'm going to smile anyway. Right, right. I think that was kind of the inspiration right, for right. what triggered it, so to speak. Right. But it uh, led to me sharing some different things that I didn't I didn't think I would share or didn't feel I had the opportunity to share. Right. And you know? have you showed this poem to your wife? Uh, yeah, she's she's read the book. We've discussed it. I also did a, a book release in which I went through some of my favorite poems and this was one of the poems that I went through mm-hmm. and um, I think a lot of people have responded to it in a very positive way and I just realized how many people um, have had similar experiences right. I think even that in itself has been super encouraging 
just to know, right? Like, I'm not the only one who feels this way or the only one who has felt this way. Right, right. I'm really interested about this point that you brought up over the course of our interview so far is the access to healthcare. And yeah. even even with access to healthcare, like if you have employee benefits, right. uh, sometimes dental is not part of it. Right, absolutely. And it's really interesting to see that something as important as teeth, because yeah. it helps us to eat. Yeah. We claim to be one of the richest countries on earth, but we can't take care of our own citizens. Yeah, sure. Give them the basic health care they need in order to make sure they can even eat the food that they right. can get. Right. And that's also granted if they if they have access to the the necessary food that they they should be eating, right? right. Um and that speaks to a whole nother piece, but I, okay. I totally agree. Um I, I think the other piece that I would add to that is, you know, as as someone who you know, has been blessed enough and fortunate enough to, you know, have a career in which I do have access to health and, and dental care. Because of that, I'm the first, one of the first ones in my family to to have that opportunity mm-hmm. long term. And so, I mean, there's even some, some things that we could talk about, particularly around just the socialization process and how certain folks aren't necessarily taught to feel like they can go to the doctor on a regular basis because, a fear of not being able to take care of the copay or not being able to pay the bill and how that's going to lead to them potentially being in debt and how that fear could potentially even lead to someone dying. Yeah. You know, I, maybe this is subconsciously part of the reason why I wrote the poem too. Mm-hmm. I had a, a cousin, an older cousin growing up and he was one of my favorite cousins. He passed away because he had an, an, an abscess on his, one of his teeth right. and he didn't think that the tooth decay was as bad as it was. Right. Subsequently, there was poison. Yeah. The, teeth, the tooth basically poisoned him. Right. And he ended up passing away from it. Yeah. And just thinking about that, um, you know, and, and how sad it is to know that a lack of knowledge around how to even take care of yourself and your body and, and the information that is spread and given can lead to someone dying. Right. And it could have really been prevented. Yeah. And so I think that's that's an interesting piece, too, that I hadn't considered until this conversation with you as well. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely something that a lot of people who do have access to dental care, good health care, or decent health care, or can mm-hmm. afford the copays, don't have to think about. Yeah. Um, because... The technology is there. Yeah. It's always a matter of access, not whether or not we can. And the poor and marginalized communities in this country also suffer from food deserts, as you alluded to before. So, yeah, it's very tragic. And before you brought up your um, cousin's Mm -hmm. unfortunate how he passed away because of this very preventable um, disease. There were several incidents where I am offering food. This incident was granola, but I've also offered apples to homeless people who usually tell me I can't take it because my teeth. 
I can't yeah. chew. Yeah. And it's so tragic. I, I know there are charities that mm-hmm. work specially to fix people's teeth for mm-hmm. communities who do not have access. But mm-hmm. obviously there aren't enough of them. And this should not be a problem left to individual charities to solve. Right, right. I don't know in your work if that is a piece that you work on. It mm-hmm. seems a little bit outside of the, the scope, but... More so at the K-12 through level right. um, that we kind of did work around. We actually did have programs mm-hmm. in place at the, the school that I worked, in which we, we offered free dental care mm-hmm. to students. Right. Um, and there was a, a mobile dentistry that would come around and park on campus. Right and allow students to have on-site appointments. I think at the university level, because we do have various health services departments and things of that nature, a lot of our students do have access to it. I think the thing, again, is is much like you said, right, the the access to it in terms of knowing that it exists and not feeling ashamed to take advantage of those resources. Um, and, And that's something that more so than even just having access and knowing about it is helping folks get past the shame of taking help and knowing that that is there for them (laughs) to take advantage of. And and so I think that's been the challenge at the the higher ed level is helping folks know, like, that's what we're here for. That's why things were created and put in place and you pay your student fees so that way you can take advantage of these opportunities. Right, so. right. It's part of the package. It's part of exactly. why you go to university. There yeah. are good, um, decent medical facilities. Yeah. And I remember my student days and, you know, I have, I have much yeah. better health care and yeah. I have much more regular health care yeah. appointments. Yeah. And preventative care is something that we as a nation, again, really need to stress on because, you know, at the back end, it saves so much money. Right. You know, it doesn't make any sense for us not to provide that. Right. Yeah, I I think, too, one of the approaches that I have been attempting to take this year is try to be a bit more hands-on and a bit more communal. Um, I think folks are a lot more inclined to take advantage of resources when folks kind of help, you know, make the introduction to those particular spaces. Um, And so one of the things that we've been actually working on is laptop loaner program, um, because a lot of folks in the Chicagoland area don't have access to quality Wi-Fi or internet access. And so just kind of letting students know, you know, hey, come by my office or meet with me virtually and I'll Make sure that we connect you with university technology services to be able to help you get access to a, a computer that has a mobile hotspot built into it. So you don't have to worry about um, if you're going to be able to attend your online classes. Right. Sometimes you, in a sense of building strong community, I think you do have to be willing to go the extra step and, and walk with people yeah. um, to help make them feel comfortable. So that way they can start to use and gain access to services more regularly. Yeah. And I think that's another area. Remember a few years ago, before the legislations were introduced to allow these internet provider companies to set speed according to how much you pay for it. Yeah, yeah. I know many activists try very hard to stop that legislation 
unfortunately, unsuccessfully. Yeah. Uh, and again, that's one of the areas where we as a country have failed our citizenry because we prioritize private companies' interests, their pocketbooks, yeah. more than the larger social good of our nation overall. Yeah, 100%. I really appreciate you sending me this particular <laughs> poem because I had written not too long before I met you my poem. Yeah. It's about self-care. Yeah, yeah, I, I read that, yeah. It's talking from the point of another major body part, which is mm-hmm. the skin, which is, Absolutely. The, I think, the largest organ, right? I think. Right, right, right. So I'm going to read that, and we can talk about that. Yeah, sure. I'm looking forward to it. Great. So it's called The Best. My skin is a spoiled brat, sensitive to everything but gold. It's always told me it wants the best, and I have been its neglectful guardian, trying everything on for size, hoping to tame the untamable, forcing it to accept less, as others have given me less. Now I'd rather the elements brutalize my fragile container than to yield to false comforts, paying the prize for honesty because the best is worth it. She that warms me deserves it. The value I represent warrants it. My head that holds high demands it. Yeah, I think the first the first line was the one that, that kind of really stood out to me, right? The, in the, in the start process around your, your skin being a spoiled brat. Um, sensitive to everything but gold, right? Mm. And so I think, to me, I I made some assumptions about what I thought that meant, Mm. but I I would love to hear your thoughts about why you chose to position it, your skin as a spoiled brat. Sure, sure. What were your assumptions? I was assuming that you were saying that your skin was sensitive or or high maintenance, so to speak, in, in the sense that you may not be able to put certain things on it and you you may have to put certain types of products specifically which may be a little bit more expensive than a traditional products that you may um, have to put on it or the the amount of time or level of care that goes into it and I think for me that's something that I've been particularly thinking about because my partner she oftentimes like is encouraging me to to have a skincare regimen and worry about how oily my skin is and you know, trying to reduce acne and things of that nature. And I'm like, I don't want to pay $85 for mm. a toner, a non-fragrance lotion, but realizing that at the end of the day, I would probably pay $85 for a night out for dinner, um, but wouldn't have the same willingness to do that, to, to do some self-care. And so right. I was just wa- wondering and thinking that maybe that was probably yeah. You know, right. I- it comes from something very similar because each of our skins, each of our bodies have yeah. certain formulations, you know, chemically. Right. So we react to the same stimuli in very different ways. You right. know, I have a bunch of earrings, um, but I can't wear them because I'm allergic. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's what my partner is. She has to, <laughs> if it's not surgical steel, then she yeah. can't wear them. 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I think even sometimes with surgical steel, because I have allergic reactions, um, and as we're getting older, our body becomes um, more susceptible to these uh, allergies. We become more allergic to more things. Yeah. Um, you know, sign of aging, unfortunately. Uh, and so... I was just thinking about that. And also um, one of our previous um, poet guests, uh, Latnajita, okay. she had written a poem specifically about her skin. And I was kind of thinking about it. And yeah. I was thinking about how my skin is so spoiled because, I mean, it just seems so spoiled because sometimes <laughs> I tell people, oh, I can only wear gold and, and yeah. you know, like cashmere. You know, I just sound like, I should have been born rich, but I'm not. <laughs> <You know? Yeah. laughs> so, so it's one of those things where the line comes from that okay. um, frustration. And, and now sometimes I'm, I'm even more allergic to even more basic things. Just, yeah. Yeah. It's frustrating. Yeah. Um, is that where, is that where that line, the line about uh, hoping to tame the untape or trying everything on for size, yeah. hoping to tame the untamable came from? Yeah, exactly. It's, you know, from when you first discover you have this problem, right? And then yeah. you're just like, ah, I'm going to try this, I'm going to try that, but then nothing works. Okay. Until you realize you just have to accept that there are only certain things that, that your skin can deal with. Yeah. But obviously, it also has a very metaphorical aspect to yeah. those lines, meaning that I open up with that specific line, but then open up the poem to just the life experiences of trying different things that might not actually be good for oneself, for one's yeah. health, for one's esteem. Yeah. All of these things, you know, like that all of us go through. Right. Especially from our teenage rebellious years onwards, yeah, yeah. you know. And, yeah. and so that's sort of where that come from. Okay. Yeah. I'm looking at the next line after that too, where it says, uh, forcing it to accept less as others have given me less. Yeah, exactly. And that line harkens back a little bit to that idea of access, right? Okay. Yeah. Because yeah. Not everybody can afford gold. Not everybody can afford cashmere. Yeah. It also goes back to the larger sense of life where, you know, maybe we try certain relationships that do not work out because mm. that person is not willing to accept you for who you are yeah. um, or is forcing an ideal of what you should be to them, right? forcing you to become that. So it has both a literal and a figurative sense. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's intense. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure you noticed that the poem then turns as mm -hmm. your poem has a turn, right? Because right. you kind of talk about the shame and such associated having mm -hmm. with bad teeth and uh, while making also social commentary about how being poor could contribute to that. Having stress can contribute right. to the deterioration of teeth. But it's, right. And it's the same thing with skin. At the same time, whereas when you're younger, maybe the choice is not up to you. Right. Maybe you're being forced to accept less. Now mm. you can 
choose to accept less mm. because you think the price is worth paying for. Right. Because you're working on a longer goal, you are working toward a better tomorrow. Mm. Yeah. And even in the context of this, right, and thinking about the notion of your skin, right, I'm just thinking of the, the context of what we were just talking about, particularly related to, to my poem, uh, Poor People Teeth. We were talking about the, the social experiences that, you know, have happened and things that have occurred and, and the oppression, particularly related to Black identified folks. And, you know, I, I know in the work that I do, in April, we did a, a PETA Heritage Month. A lot of our Asian Pacific Islander identified students shared a lot about the microaggressions or the overt aggressions that they were experiencing due to COVID-19. Yeah. Folks feeling as if they could target them, yeah. whether that be physically or, you know, virtually. Yeah. And so just wondering, you know, what were your thoughts and your feelings about that and how that relates to you particularly? Um, in terms of that prejudice, or if, I've seen, or if it relates to you, I don't want to assume. No, no, you. I, I think you've kind of seen me, though. You know, I always yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> I am Asian American, so mm-hmm. I have experienced prejudices both before and now during the yeah. COVID. I have to say, I'm one of the luckier ones, despite having had some experience with it. It hasn't been as horrendous as many other people's. But just knowing that it exists definitely changes the way I behave in terms of how much I want to go out, even aside from COVID considerations, because, you know, you still have to go out to get food, get groceries, you know. I do worry when I go outside what's going to happen, and especially since I'm on the smaller side. Um, so that is definitely something that's been on my mind as I said before I feel like me personally I've been pretty lucky in terms of what I have encountered and I'm sure you know this as well just from you know having to counsel students about this is that um, unfortunately not every prejudice is about white people right absolutely and it even though it does make me sadder at the same time we have to realize i always have to step back because i have this knowledge mm-hmm. uh, and realize that because we are not all monoliths right the fact is individuals can act in an ignorant way no matter right. what their own experiences with prejudices are so, right and that's the solidarity that we need to build on yeah. Um, on all sides. Um, yeah. Because of what's happened with George Floyd um, and <laughs> Breonna right. Taylor um, and Amma Arbery and so many, right. so many other people, um, right. we need to realize that it's not. I feel like sometimes <clears throat> the way that we're fighting prejudice is centering white people. And I'm like, no, I don't want to center white people. Mm -hmm. I don't want to center whiteness. Right. Because prejudice does not have a color. Right. 
And that's, that's one of my worries when I'm dealing with these issues, um, not only for myself, but in speaking about these issues and trying to do advocacy work. Right. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think you are, you are dead on when you say I think that people center white people at the center of oppression, but don't particularly, and when they should be centering whiteness, right? Because I think one of the things that I often talk about when advising students or talking in my various friend groups or whatever the case may be, folks oftentimes do go specifically toward uh, blaming white identified folks. And, and I think the challenge with that is a lot of the, the systemic things that we experience that are taking place are, are particularly focused around whiteness, right? And, and regardless of if a white identified person is occupying that space or not, if the construct of whiteness um, and what it has created um, is still in play, despite if, if your identity, your particular identity is the same, you can participate in whiteness. And, and I think it's important for folks to like you said, have that conversation and be willing to deconstruct it because sometimes we don't understand and know that just because we don't particularly identify as white, that we are participating in, uh, in whiteness. And so, and, and have a possessive investment in it. Um, and, and so that's one of the things that we kind of run into again in the work that I do at the university level is folks not understanding that your particular approach to who gets admitted versus who doesn't, the allocation of resources and why folks from particular marginalized communities are fighting over um, say resources are particularly centered around the structures and constructs that have been created right. by whiteness. Right. Yeah. It's very multifaceted, these mm-hmm. um, prejudices yeah. that we're trying to fight against. Right. There's elitism. Sure. Uh, classism, the economic prejudices, all right. of these are involved. Whiteness is just one of the layers, and it's right. very particular to this nation. Right. To maybe if we want to speak broader to the Western perspective. Right. But you will find some of these prejudices even in countries where it's predominantly. Yeah. Um, what we think of as a marginalized group. Right. Um, there would still be this hierarchy. So right. the thing that I would like people to think about is what kind of power structure is in place, how right. it feeds into this idea of who gets the power and, right. and why. Right. And it's very multi-layered and multifaceted. Right. Um, Color can be a very, it can be a blinding factor. It mm-hmm. could, it could be so overwhelming that we forget right. that there are so many other things that we also need to look on as well. Right. Yeah, I, I agree with you one hundred percent. I think one of the the biggest things you know that's kind of prohibiting our ability to to experience true solidarity is that you know, people think in a very dichotomous way, right? Like it has to be either that or this. And it mm-hmm. and folks don't really create space and room for themselves to be able to to do both and, right? And it's like 
Well, right now there's a lot of attention focused around what's going on in Minnesota, right? And and police brutality and you know the oppression, particularly right. against black identified folks. Mm-hmm. But just because that's happening doesn't mean that we we can't at the same time have a conversation about the experiences of Asian identified folks and and the prejudices that they're facing as well, as well as the experiences of folks with various intersecting identities. You know, one of the things that's been, I think to me, has been most triggering about what has been taking place and what's been going on, I totally understand the frustration, particularly related to police brutality. Mm -hmm. Um, But I, I know and I've noticed within our particular community, within the Black community, we put a lot of emphasis on celebrating and uplifting and spreading awareness about folks within the community who are male-identified right. and particularly heterosexual. Right. And right. there are a lot of Black trans folks yep. who, are being, who are being murdered at the exact same time under this exact same premise. Um, who are not being hashtagged, who are not being included amongst folks like George Floyd and um, Ahmaud Arbery. Right. And and that's not to say, you know, that their death should be diminished in any way. But it is to say that, again, I think we need to we have to understand, um, you know, that we can do a both and 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 include and, and bring folks experiences in and even more so. Right. And talking about Breonna Taylor, we haven't really put a lot of emphasis on talking about her, and I feel like her story and her experience has become marginalized because she's a Black identified woman. Right. And and I think the gender piece of it all plays a huge part as to why she's not being recognized and, and her story isn't being paid attention to as much. Yeah. And I can go on and say that a lot, but again, across the varying intersecting identities and in, in the various communities, I think we do have to get to a place where we really are able to be in solidarity with each other and have a both end. And I, I'll just say this really quickly um, because I know, you know, maybe from this interview or from, you know, the rest of our conversation, some folks would assume that by looking at my social media that I am a black nationalist, right? <laughs> some folks would assume that I'm a, a black nationalist in the sense of, of the way that I articulate my my mission and my purpose for the things that I do and even just the color scheme mm-hmm. um, I'm very 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 proud to be a, a black person and very proud to be a black man oftentimes people construe that with um, me being a, a separatist of sorts and not being able to empathize and and willing to work with and understand other people's plights and their experiences and take those things on and under consideration. But one of the things that I appreciate so much about being from the San Francisco Bay Area and having the Black Li- or the Black Lives Matter movement as well as um, the Black Panther Party for Self-Defense be rooted in Oakland right. um, was that the Black Panther Party for Self-Defense, while they were attempting to fight against the oppression that was happening in Black communities, they were in solidarity with the field workers in California so much so that at the particular time where the work field workers were on strike, the Black Panther Party for Self-Defense was promoting and standing in solidarity, marketing folks not to purchase lettuce 
at that particular time mm-hmm. um, because of what was taking place. And, and so I say that to say, I think that the same thing has to happen and can happen and needs to happen on a larger scale today, right? Just because we are oppressed doesn't mean that we can't support and be in partnership with other folks who are experiencing oppression and empathize as well. Right. And it is especially important now and always to have that solidarity, to find that solidarity across different um, marginalized groups. Right. Because we do benefit from having the strength of numbers. Right. And we can only have those strength of numbers if we reach out to each other. Right. 100%. And and I think, too, circling it back to the purpose of this interview and, and while we're here, you know, I think that's the power of the poetry, right? And, and being able to give each other voice. And I think that was one of the things that also made me gravitate so strongly to open mic nights and and things of that nature. Because again, it was the first time I'd ever been in a space where people in the audience had to sit and listen to somebody's story for three minutes or or more, right? Right. And and not interrupt, um, regardless of if you agreed or if you didn't agree with their lifestyle choice or what their experience was, you listened. And and maybe you walked away with some some better understanding um, of what that person could have potentially been experiencing, and, and maybe it, it shifted your your consciousness about how you treat people and how you want to engage in community. Yeah, and um, I think I think that's the important thing about being able to participate in these events. Uh, one of the most important things that we must be willing to do is to listen. Is right. to listen to other people's experiences, right. whether or not we have had those experiences ourselves. Because as individuals, we're only one. We can only experience so much. You know, we we can't possibly say, "Oh, because I didn't experience that, that never happens." Right. And I think once we do listen to each other's story, right, we might not be able to relate to all the nuances of the story, but I think at the the base of, of what the story is really about, whether it's about a particular oppression or, or a triumph, right? Like we can relate on some very humanistic level of what that person has experienced. And I think once we allow ourselves to be able to experience that and let people's stories marinate in our minds and really be able to, to take it in, we can really start to to be able to be open to dialogue and be able to be open to understanding and be able to be open to to truly building community. And I think the other piece is too, just because we disagree doesn't mean that I have to dismiss you. And I think that's a piece that's oftentimes missed as well. Yeah. You know, is, you know, I may not necessarily agree with the way that you do things or your reasoning for wanting to do it, but that doesn't mean that I need to dismiss your presence or your life or reduce it to a a status of being not valuable. Yeah, exactly. Oftentimes people disagree before they even understand fully. Yeah. Understanding again, takes that active willingness to listen, to try to take in information besides just throwing out information so, right. you know, and if one doesn't understand something, how can you say that you disagree with it? Right. Yeah. And, and I think that also speaks to 
you know, folks, individual levels of, of just ignorance, right? Because I think some folks feel as if, you know, I would much rather be okay with being wrong than actually do the work to correct my behavior so that you can be safe and well. And, and I think that's the thing that's really difficult and, and hard, um, you know, especially about the different layers of oppression that we experience and people experience in society is if you listen to somebody's story, again, at a very humanistic level, you will, you'll probably be able to empathize in some way or another. But the challenge that comes from hearing that your approach is probably wrong or could be shifted or altered in some way is what scares people because people don't necessarily like to embrace that they can be wrong or that they have wronged somebody. Right. And I think once we, we get to a space where we allow ourselves to experience community, we will start to give each other grace to know and understand that, yeah, I, I get it. Maybe you were socialized to believe some very not cool things, right? Maybe you were socialized to, to believe and adopt those things, but now I'm in front of you and now we're having a conversation and you're realizing and you're questioning were all the things that you learned taught to you incorrectly. And if you are struggling with that, I'm willing to give you grace to work through that in the sake of building community. But you have to be willing to be committed to the idea of undoing and unlearning what you've learned, you know? Yeah, yeah. We all have to really be willing to continue to learn, right? Because no matter whether or not we are deliberately letting learning happen, we have to learn. Right. No matter what, because we all age, and aging is a learning process. Right. So thank you very much for this conversation. I really appreciate it. Um, Oh, yeah. In closing, I want to ask you, virtually, where do you read now, and also how do people follow you? I took a bit of a break from actually reading and going out into open mics and things of that nature, um, I kind of actually got a bit irritated with it mm-hmm. because I'm very against the idea of slamming mm, yeah. um, to have somebody's story be compared to somebody else's story for oh the sake God, of yes. points yes. Um, was something that was very difficult for me to kind of navigate and deal with. And so I, I took a step back from the open mic space for a long time. Right. Uh, and, and recently I've come back into it during quarantine. Yeah. Uh, just as a way to kind of find community and, and just to realize and understand that if I'm not sharing my story and experience, it might be prohibiting somebody else to get the freedom that they need. Yeah, true. Um, as of right now, I'm just kind of bouncing around and, and going from virtual space to virtual space, just connect with folks. But if you, you want to connect with me, you can connect with me on social media at service, no service. So just to check what platforms are you on or, or can people find out through the website? Yeah. yeah, they can find me on Instagram, Twitter. They can find me on Facebook. If you want to find connections to all of those things, it might just be easier to, for you to go to www.servicenoservice.com. Okay, great, great. And is your book on that as well or just the woollymaze.net one? It's just on timothymaze.net at that particular <laughs> At that particular, <laughs> at that particular time, I was just kind of going under that name and that moniker, and so the service no service page is actually totally separate because that page and that that artistry is pri- primarily focused around giving back to people. Right. 
that's part of the reason why I made the transition is every bit of money that I make from uh, music, the merchandise, the hats, the shirts, anything from off of my website, those funds uh, generally go towards scholarships um, for students. So, yeah. But yeah, you can definitely find the book um, if you want to go through timothymays.net. You definitely can okay. um, to find it there. Cool, cool. Well, thank you very much. Again, I really, really appreciate your time and our talk together. Yeah, I appreciate you. I'm looking forward to hearing it and sharing it with everybody. And I'm just, I'm just grateful for the opportunity and the, the chance to speak with you. You can follow us at poetsandmuses.com as well as on Instagram and Twitter under Poets and Muses. You can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter either at poetsandmuses.com or at the upper right-hand side of the Poets and Muses SoundCloud page. Now, in addition to the Poets and Muses website and SoundCloud page, you can also listen to the Poets and Muses podcast via Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and Stitcher. I'm your host, Imogen A-Rate. Thank you very much for listening. I hope you have a safe and healthy week, and I look forward to bringing you another episode next Sunday.